tuning into Power Athlete Radio. We are stoked to have Jim Kielbasa back on the show to talk training kids through his years of experience and his organization, the International Youth Conditioning Association. Jim explains that his motivation for starting the program was to educate coaches on the delicate balance of working with 8 to 18 year olds. Coaching kids is a long journey that starts with the best of intentions, and as Jim explains, the coach themselves is usually the reason a kid sticks with the sport or quits. Jim provides real tools, not just lip service, on how to polish your coaching interaction with youth athletes. He also talks about his experience navigating overzealous parents and what to do when you encounter those fucked up coaches who enjoy yelling at kids because they see their own failures in them. Yeah, that's some serious psychological bullshit. This is episode 220. Power Athlete Nation, what's up? This is Luke. I've got Tex. Say hi, Tex. Hello. No, you're supposed to say hi, Tex. No, no, no. That's a bad joke. No, that's good. And you are listening to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Conditioning. Ing. Guys, what is up? We got a, a repeater guest here. We do that sometimes. Uh, and we have on the line Jim Kielbasso out of Wixom, Michigan. Right, Jim? That's where our facility is. I That's where the facility is. What Now, where, where are you originally from? I'm actually from Michigan, but from another city in uh, in Michigan, Okemos, Michigan, which is right by Michigan State University. Okay. Um, I've lived in Michigan my whole life except for one year, so I am a Michigander. All right, beautiful. Is that, is that the name officially? Um, I believe it actually is a Michigander. Yeah, you like that? No, yeah, I'm in. Yes, you do like it. <laughs> so, well, listen, listeners, we had Jim on. I'm looking at it right now, episode 177, and we got a little bit of what he was doing out there in his facility. Uh, I was just getting up and running, and Tex had just devoured his book, and we talked a little bit about that. But we're going to shift here because we got a. Uh, I guess, Tex, take it from here, because you and Jim met and started getting talking about where he's pivoted and changed his focus in taking on the International Youth Conditioning Association, right? And it's pretty interesting, because we've beat our head against the walls asking some of these questions, right? Whether it's in seminars or what we see on late-night infomercials, a.k.a. YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, right? And I think it's a noble mission, noble cause, but I'm just going to hand it over and let you tell the story, and then we'll go from there. So Jim and I connected at the CSCCA. So um, I go to these conferences every year, just has the opportunity to reconnect with old colleagues and really find power athlete radio guests, the premier podcast on strength and conditioning. <laughs> and so I was uh, thumbing through the speaker list, and I saw Jim, who was power athlete radio alum. So I hit him an email and said, "We gotta, we gotta meet up. We gotta hang out because we meet a lot of coaches on the line, and this is an opportunity to meet in person. I got to take full advantage of it." Uh, so I hit up Jim, and we were able to connect, and we sat down for some dinner, and I got to hear probably the most amazing coach origin story I've ever heard. So I I could not recall the name of your studies because it was a new term to me, but it had to do with dance. So I want to hand this off to you. Tell us about your, your studies, uh, how you got into strength and conditioning, and then this new mission that you're taking on. I think that will kind of lead us into a formal conversation about training the youth. Well, we talked about a lot of things, so hopefully I'm going to retell <laughs> the story uh, the way you want me to, Tex. Um, God, where do I even begin? Because uh, we had a lot more time and we were chilling. Yeah, at a lot more margaritas. Yes, 
Yeah, that was an interesting margarita you got, by the way. Jalapeno. Oh, a little bit of umbrella, sugar instead of salt. No, no well, it was I like was it was Disneyland. All. I got to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I got into strength and conditioning when I was in high school, and it, it was kind of a funny way uh, that it happened. I bought, as a joke, I bought some muscle magazines from my friend who was into lifting weights. Um, and it was, it was for like a Christmas present. And while I had them in my room waiting for Christmas to give them to him, you know, you know, as a joke, you know, to make fun of him for doing this, I started reading them and started thinking, Oh, this is really cool. And I, I got into it. And by that, before Christmas hit, I asked my parents to buy me a weight set. And I actually like took the weight set in our van. We were driving down to Ohio and I'm like doing curls in the back of the, you know, in the back of the van because you didn't have to wear seatbelts you know, <laughs> as a kid. So it, like, I just like instantly fell in love with it. Um, I played lots of different sports in high school, but my sister actually got me to go with her to a dance class um, when I was, I don't know, I, I must have been like a sophomore maybe. And um, it was interesting to me because I had never danced, but I looked at it as movement, like, and I had to pick things up. Like I had to watch somebody do something and then I had to copy them. So to me at, at the beginning, it was more a, um, it was like a test of coordination and, you know, and, and like, can I do what that person just did in the same sequence and, you know, the same way they just did it. It wasn't about like, am I good at it? Do I look good, good doing it? It was like, it was a challenge. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Cause totally, you know, you, totally. Yeah. I mean, most people don't do that kind of thing, you know? So if you haven't ever, ever experienced it, like, Hey, here's a combination, do this. And then you try to do it. It, it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a cool, interesting challenge um, to get your body to, to do something that you just saw somebody else do. Um, well, because I was a, because I was a boy, uh, the instructor let me, take classes for free because they needed people to do partner stuff. And um, I ended up getting into the shows in high school as well as doing sports. And um, before my high school career was over, it was like, have you guys seen high school musical? I you know have. What it's like a Disney thing where the basket, the, the, the captain of the basketball team is also like the lead in the play and okay. like All right. the whole basketball team joins in and like makes it a big, you know, it's a big fun thing. Well, that was literally my high school experience. All my, all my athlete friends got into the, into the musicals and um, my junior year we did Greece and um, you guys have seen Greece before, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, it's like a, like a gang, you know? Yeah, so yeah. my, my whole gang behind me was like all my sports friends. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was really fun. So, um, so when I got to college, um, I started taking dance classes there as well. And, um, I'll have to do that. We'll have to share this experience, uh, at another time, but that's, that's how I met my wife and the way I met my mom. <laughs> awesome. so, um, it, it was, it was through that. She was my, actually like we got partnered up very cool story, but, um, I took a class called lab annotation and I think that's what you're referring to. Yes. Lab yeah. Lab annotation is a system of notating movement, similar to notating music with notes. Mm -hmm. There's a way to write dance moves or movement um, with different uh, symbols. And it really hit me because my major was exercise science at the time. And um, 
it, it hit me. I was like, wait a minute. You know, we hear about biomechanics, but really, like, how do we describe the movement? Like, how do, like, how do we make people, um, instead of just looking at it, how do we get them to do different things and describe it? Um, so my all my interest in, you know, in, in coordination through, like, watching people move and then trying to copy it, um, I started looking at it in a different lens. I was like, okay, well, it, it's not just dance. It's also athletes are learning how to move and they have to learn somehow and you have to be able to teach them somehow. And so instead of, uh, instead of it being dance, it, it became sports movement that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's how I started, you know, it really like, it really got me excited about like teaching athletes how to do different different movements and exercise and speed and agility and all that kind of stuff. So when I got to grad school at the University of Michigan, um, I really wanted to get into strength and conditioning. And up until that point, at that point in time, there was there was still no internet. So um, I tried to do an independent study in college on how to be a strength and conditioning coach. All my professors were like, that's cool, but we can't really help you. I don't, you know, we don't know where to send you or what to look for. Um, so I had to do everything, you know, on my own, like go find people and actually meet, actually meet people in real life. Oh, wow. um, and I know, and read books. It was, it was weird. Um, I'm not familiar. So, what are those? Are yeah, those uh, things you're always carrying text? <laughs> I'll show you one. Sometime. The things you're always hitting out of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when I got to, to the university of Michigan, I wanted to meet this strength coach that um, all the academics said I should not meet because he did not follow the same systems and the same um, way of thinking as the academics did. And his name is Mike Gittleson. He was one of the first strength coaches ever in, in America. Um, and I was like, well, I got to meet this guy and, and I want to, I want to learn from him. So I think this is a story you thought was pretty funny, Tex, is that um, I went into the football building and got stopped by their little security window. And, they, you know, cause I'm not, I wasn't a football player there. Um, so I, I kind of realized, Oh, I need to sneak into this place. So a couple of days later, I just, I just walked, walked past security and like kind of just waved my hand. I think I was with other athletes. So I just kind of pretended like I was supposed to be there and, they just waved back and let me <laughs> <laughs> once, once I got through the doors, I had no idea where I was going. So I'm like looking around, trying to figure out where the weight room is. And I open this door. I walk in. I'm like, okay, I'm in the weight room. And Mike Gittleson sees me and was like, he like yelled at me. He's like, hey, what are you doing? What, who are you? What are you doing in here? Because at the time, um, it, it, it was very different back then. It, this was 1990. 95 um, strength coaches were much more secretive about what they were doing um, and he, there were there was no media allowed in there there was no um, no other people were allowed in there um, that was that was like their their sacred space nobody would mess with them while they were in the weight room um, and when I explained to him you know that I was a student and I wanted to wanted to learn from him and do an internship um, he sat me down and I mean he ripped me up and down and um, and he was asking me some some really funny interesting questions um, and completely challenging everything that I had learned up to this point which is mainly like academic stuff and NSCA you know material that I could that I could get my hands on and Olympic lifting and um, it was 
you know, it was mostly academic in nature, although I had been doing a little bit of training and coaching. And uh, by the end of the conversation, it was a very uncomfortable conversation because he was just shredding me and staring at me, waiting for my responses and telling me how basically how dumb I was and that I, you know, that I didn't know anything. Um, he said, okay, you can, you can do an internship with me, but you have to take my class because you need to learn, you know, some basics. Um, so by the end of it, I was able to, to, to learn from, you know, one of the only strength coaches or one of the first strength coaches in America. And, um, I learned a ton about how athletes actually work and how a strength conditioning program is actually run. Um, real life is very different than in books and, uh, something that I thought was really interesting that he, that he kind of ripped me for is as he was explaining how he did things, I said, well, how do you guys peak? Um, you know, you know, peak your athletes. And he was like, peak, when are we supposed to peak? And I, and I, you know, I was like, uh, the Rose bowl. And he goes, the Rose bowl, the Rose bowl. We don't even get to the Rose bowl. If we don't win every single game leading up to the Rose bowl, mm -hmm. the Rose bowl, we're just happy if our team can tape and brace and, you know, get the guys out on the field to play the game. It's like, we don't peak for the Rose bowl. We, you know, we have to win every game and we just hope we can get out on the field and still compete, um, at, you know, at the Rose bowl. And at the time I was like, ah, no way, man. Like you don't get it or something, you know, cause I'm, I'm young. And I thought, you know, like everybody, I thought I knew more than, than everybody else. What a, what a learning experience to realize that, oh, this guy has done this mm -hmm. and he understands these kids and understands the sports and, um, and how this all works. And, and I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a, a great understanding up until then. Um, so I learned a lot from him and, uh, that's that's pretty much how I how I got my my first experience in school working with a you know with a strength and conditioning department. And then how long were you at that gig working with him? Um, that was just that was just an internship while I was in grad school. So I finished up grad school, and um, I, I was I was at a, a a training center actually. You know, there was another thing that kind of got hooked up through the University of Michigan. A guy was. Um, it was a school of ice, ice arena management at the University of Michigan at the time. And in one of the ice arenas that they managed that was uh, outside of Detroit, they were going to put this system, uh, this training system in, um, in between the two sheets of ice and upstairs, they're going to put this training system in called the Frapier Acceleration Sports Training Program. And, and they wanted me to you know, to learn about it. So I had to go to North Dakota to learn about this thing. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Frapier Acceleration Sports Training Program, but no, sir. Um, it morphed into um, Athletic Republic. Does, does that sound familiar to you? It was basically, it was a franchise. And this guy, John Frapier, went over to, to Russia and learned what they were doing over in, in, in Russia with other training programs. And I, I got to learn that program um, for, uh, I was doing that for about a year, year and a half before one of my athletes ended up, um, he was a guy that was playing basketball over in Japan, um, like pro basketball. And he sat down and said, Hey, have you ever thought about being a strength coach in college? And I said, that's what I've always wanted to do. So he said, Hey, our strength coach at the university of Detroit, where I went to college, um, just left. Um, and they, they're looking for a coach. So I was like, 
absolutely. You know, this is exactly what I want to do. And within like a half an hour, like he had made a couple phone calls and um, the athletic director had called me and we scheduled an interview. And it was, it was kind of funny. By the time I got there for the interview, everybody knew me as the guy that was that had trained Greg hmm. because little did I know that Greg was going back um, in the summer playing pickup and was just killing people was running up and down the court, dunking on people, just like smashing it. So everyone, you know, just kind of attributed his transformation to me. So before I even got there, they were like, oh, well, if he can do that to this guy, like we want him to do it with all of our guys. And um, that's that's how I got that job. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, what are the life lessons were learned from from the strength coach that you interned under? I mean, he so there, there's the classical bridge of you know the science versus the practice, right? What's done mm-hmm. in the lab and in the textbook versus all right, this is how I do it in my pain cave. Um, I mean, any other hard lessons that learned there that you just you know he pulled back the curtain, you couldn't believe it. Um, the thing that he talked about being really good at, um, and it was more the art. So he's incredibly scientific. Everything he did was very scientific. Um, but interestingly, he was mainly a high intensity guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, you know, any, anybody who poo-poos high intensity has not talked to Mike Gittleson about why he does it the way he does it. Um, because it's, uh, it's a very scientific approach and that's not all he does, but that is, is that is his approach to uh, it's a systematic progressive overload of the musculature and the way he does it is very very systematic every rep is you know is going to be the same and there's a system of progression that he that he uses so I, I learned how to create a system that was more than just you know a lot of people at the time were making up workouts and there was progression so I learned about I learned like really what different methods of progression were and how to implement those things and then i also learned the the idea that um the value of one rep essentially what he taught was you know if you if you if you are able to do five reps of uh, whatever weight today and eventually you're able to do six reps with that same weight your max strength theoretically has gone up by about five pounds um on, you know if you look at a predicted max chart and he said if somebody's max goes up by five pounds like that's a pretty big deal we need to celebrate those things and he, he kind of taught me the uh the value of slow systematic progression rather than people trying to you know put 100 pounds on their bench press in three weeks it, it wasn't about that but the thing that he was kind of a master at that was more than the science is that he said that he was that he was better than anybody at managing stresses in people's lives. And it didn't mean that he was like their therapist managing their stress, but he was able to take all of those things into consideration. It, um, he had his training program, but he also would run the conditioning. He knew where, you know, what football uh, practices were going to be like. Um, he understood kids' social lives and their eating habits and their, um, their class schedule and their sleeping and um, kind of everything. So he was take at the time that was not really talked about is taking everything into consideration. Nobody was doing monitoring. There was, I mean, that didn't come in for 20 years after this. Um, so nobody was talking about sleeping and, um, and 
and even even nutrition at the time was very basic and not covered in great detail. He did. He like hammered that with the kids. Um, the stress of practices and academic schedules and you know and all that kind of stuff. He took it all into consideration and. Um, I definitely took that with me as a college strength coach, um, realizing that, hey, strength and conditioning is not, uh, it's not about you. It's about the kids. And if you think that the world revolves around your program, you know, some bad stuff may happen. So it, w- it was cool to be able to see him understand that his program was a small piece in the puzzle. Um, and he had to he had to put the right, you know, the right intensities and volumes in at the right time. It, it was it's pretty awesome for me to, to learn that kind of stuff at a young age. That's great, man. Yeah. I mean, how did you even know to, to look at that stuff? So one of the best um, experience I've had is just a little piece of observation. So where you do not have control of the program, but with observation, you got to know what to look for. So did he say, what do I check out this? Or did you just kind of intuitively pick up on these things? Um, he actually talked about it and then, some of it I had to intuitively pick up, pick up on. So he would he would kind of briefly talk about those things and explain how he would do it. But then, you know, you have to then get to know the people that you're working with to to figure out how you're going to adjust things without like without all that monitoring. You know, just knowing, um, for example, you know that you, you might have your program in place for the day, and uh, you know your team shows up and they just got done with a practice that was way harder than you thought it was going to be, and you know that they're going to go practice again in the morning. It, you start you start realizing quickly, I could blast them right now, and it might set us all back for weeks because they're not going to practice well tomorrow. They're not going to recover from this workout. They because they didn't recover from this workout and then they have practice. They're not going to recover from that practice, and it could it could cause like a a spiral downward spiral effect for several weeks. Um, and I just had to intuitively kind of figure those things out by making mistakes. And, you know, I would, I would blast kids, not, not really thinking about that. You know, sometimes I, you know, I don't care what your practice schedule is. We, we got legs, you know, we're, we're going to crush your legs today. And then and the next time they're in there, you know, you start realizing, Oh, I think we something's wrong here. And, it, sometimes it takes a season of mistakes to realize, you know, like what, what you did. And um, it's really interesting. I was listening to uh, a really smart guy that I, that I know, Chris Ronald, who is the director of sports science at the University of Virginia right now. And he actually, now that they have all the monitoring and the testing and everything, he was able to show this, this graph uh, or this like chart that showed one year when he um when it was like kids didn't didn't recover from a workout and they got punished so they did extra working out and he then showed um their recovery ability like dropped quite dramatically from all that you know i don't know what monitoring he was doing and they lost they lost the next game and then because they lost they got punished again and he said that that it basically like threw the entire season into you know into a mess and it took like four or five weeks to to get back out of that. And he said that he kind of attributes it to, you know, we we didn't we thought we were just punishing these kids, but it was just bad timing and it messed things up for for several weeks. You know, before all this monitoring came in, you just had to either figure it out on your own or 
or think you were doing the right thing by pulling back at the right time. Um, you know, it was all very intuitive. Um, and I think that, that learning that, being able to be with enough athletes for enough years um, as a college strength coach when I was doing that um, kind of made me realize how important it was to, to the value of pulling back at the right time mm -hmm. was, was a huge, a huge lesson for me. Cause I think a lot of strength coaches, they don't want to pull back. They want everybody else to pull back so that they can, they can run their program the way they want to run it. And that was a, that was a huge lesson for me to, to learn. Well, let's talk a little bit of, you know, in life, the pendulum swings, I guess. Right. So yeah, that's your collegiate yeah. side of things. And now you're, you're taking a, a leadership role in the IYCA. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you want to talk, what was the motive to shift over to, to this side of things and, uh, and, and what, what's, what's the, the happening now? I mean, what's, what's the motive behind this, this organization? Well, the IYCA is, um, to me, it is, it's in the right spot at the right time to make a huge difference in the way people are training young athletes and all over the world. But, um, you know, there's more of that going on in America right now. And um, essentially my vision for the IYCA or not, not just for the IYCA, but just my, my overall vision is to have um, exceptional training experiences available to kids all over the world. And those exceptional training experiences need to be delivered by exceptional coaches who are not only good at, um, at the science, but they also need to understand the coaching and the delivery and the psychology that goes into it. And part of all of this oftentimes involves a business aspect because most people who are training young kids, there's, there's a business part of it that goes into all these things. So, um, the IYCA is, at least from what I, from what I know uh, in the world, is kind of the only organization that hits on all three of those things, science, coaching, and business. And that really drew me to the IYCA. And knowing that if I have this vision of all, you know, every kid having a, the opportunity to have a great experience, um, well, now how do we make that happen? And that's through educating trainers, coaches, and parents on proper ways of training. Um, but like, you know, we have talked about this before. Sometimes it's hard to get through to people that are doing things a different way um, than what you're already doing. And so there's a lot of education that has to occur. And the, the IYCA is just the vehicle to make all those things kind of happen. Um, some of the things that I knew needed to occur is we hadn't had a live event in a while. So we had our first summit back in April and it was, it was amazing. It was, it really was awesome. A lot of people that showed up said, wow, this is the best, this is the best conference I've ever attended. And, um, there was just a ton of excitement for it. So I knew, okay, we're on the right track. And at the time we also had a new book that we were working on. And what I, what I felt like we needed to do is create basically a, a foundational, um, textbook that laid out a lot of different training methodologies in a way that was both scientifically sound and also easy to understand. So coaches could implement it. So I got 17, coaches to write in this book and um the the breadth of experience in this book is unbelievable we've got um we've got a bunch of division one college strength coaches nfl strength coaches we've got high school uh strength coaches a couple of uh, we've got a phd and a physical therapist and a few private training facility guys so like a lot of different people and some premier podcast and strength conditioning alums 
<laughs> so Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Several people that have been on your podcast uh, are, are in the book. Um, and basically to create almost like our version of the NSCA essentials, like here is a, here's what you need to know to, uh, to understand how to train younger athletes. And um, the book just got, just got released. And this, the, the feedback I've gotten so far is, wow, this is really needed. So I feel like we're, we're laying a good foundation for these coaches who are out there working with young athletes. So for the listeners, what, what, is, what is a young athlete? So that's a great question because um, the one thing that kind of bothered me about International Youth Conditioning Association is I thought that everybody looked at the word youth as like six-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess they can be six-year-olds, but I look at, I look at young athletes anywhere from six up to like 22. You know, we, we, we're talking about kids who are in college who are still young, relatively young athletes. I'd say that the main, the, the, the main uh, kid that we, that we train is probably somewhere more like eight to 18. Um, you know, so you're looking at kids who are in elementary school up through, through high school, but there's a lot of people who train younger and older athletes as well. And the principles remain pretty much the same. There's just a different level of progression to it. Um, there's different layers that need to be, you know, taught and, and things need to change as you train an athlete. But um, a, a kid who is 16 years old, who has never done any training, you know, you bring in a 16 year old female soccer player who's never done any kind of outside training besides soccer. I mean, they're pretty much just like a, you know, a, a 10 or 12 year old kid, you know, they, they still need, they need to learn how to do basic movements. They need to learn how to, how to move. They need to learn how to train and what training is all about and what progression is all about and what it feels like. So um, a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the principles are the same. Um, and that's why the book is called the book that we wrote is called principles of the athletic strength and conditioning. And it's like, these are principles that aren't just for, um, you know, it's not, here's how you train a volleyball player to jump higher. That's not, you know, that's not what this is about. This is about, you know, all athletes getting better at being athletic. Mm-hmm. That kind of help you as far as young, you know, like what a younger athlete is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you, you have this vision of a positive training experience for, for these youth athletes, right? Yeah. I guess um, you clearly feel a need that, that kids aren't getting that today. So what's, I, I mean, do. in your experience, you know, what are you observing? What, what, what are people doing? I mean, let's be bold. What are people doing wrong? You know? Well, yeah. Well, on a positive note, um, there's a lot of good stuff happening. Oh, sure. Right yeah. Yeah. Too. I would say there's, there's more good than there used to be because there's, there's better trainers out there and there's more, um, business opportunities and, and there's more people that know about training. So they're getting, um, they have access to more, but, I still see things happening that are probably in the long run going to hurt kids, whether it's hurting them uh, emotionally and psychologically because they're just getting beaten down. So kids don't want to train. If you're beating down a 10 year old kid um, with conditioning drills and, you know, and super intense training that's um, that's making them, you know, ache and and hurt, that kid's probably not going to continue training for the rest of his or her life. Um, you're also not building confidence. You're not building, you know, good, you know, self, uh, self-efficacy and, and, uh, and all those things that go along with a great training program. But then I also look around and I see stuff that happens in high schools and with sports clubs and, um, you know, and club organizations and different, you know, all the different sports. I'll, I'll, I'll watch a, 
say a soccer or a volleyball conditioning session that that maybe a coach is running and i just sometimes i cringe because i think you know you're either at, at best you're just wasting people's time here at worst you are damaging kids and making them making them hurt possibly you know setting them up for injuries down the road um there's the lack of technique, the lack of progression, the lack, lack of understanding of basic principles that that I see sometimes in uh, in high schools or in in some of these clubs um, is it, it does make me cringe. You know, it makes it makes me want to say, "Hey, you you know these kids deserve better than this," but you know sometimes you're not in a position to be the person that people are going to listen to, so. How do you get that message out? Well, it's gonna, it's gotta be through education and it's gotta be a, you know, we have to slow cook the process. You know, eventually we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get one coach to understand and then another coach and then a few parents. Um, and my, you know, my goal is, is eventually those coaches who are doing the, the, the crap, if you will, um, they just kind of go away because people don't wanna, people don't wanna deal with those kind of people. So I returned home recently um, and checked in on my old lacrosse team. So again, we started a lacrosse program uh, back when I was in high school and shit, maybe 12, 13 years ago. And that's, that's a lot of people that have then had the lacrosse opportunity. And I wanted to meet the coach uh, just since I was actually home during the season. And I attended one practice and he said I could jump in whenever I wanted help, help here, help there. And there was only about 15 minutes of actually skill work and practice. So they warmed up, they hit 15 minutes and he just was not satisfied with it. And it was 30 minutes of him just blowing the whistle conditioning and yelling at the kids. So this is uh, in spring where we're like I said, started the new school year, but he's no longer the coach. So I gave him my peace of mind because that program, it gifted me so much in my entire life. I didn't want these kids to then not play the sport because of this asshole. So I yeah. dug into him and he is no longer the coach there. So it was, uh, he didn't want to be there. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but there's a lot of coaches like that that are uh, in positions and then they have that big of an impact with a youth, you know, athlete's life, no matter their age, right? So it's, uh, I think it's more, I don't know, how do we, it's not only education, it's also weeding out the assholes. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, that's the hard part. And that's what I'm talking about that weeding those people out is difficult because they're not the ones reading the IYCA principles of athletic strength and conditioning. You know, they, they're not, they're just not going to do that. Um, so you got to put stuff out there as, as often as you can and have as many people as you can talking about it so that the information is just more widespread and people just will know that, Hey, this is not right. And, you know, you, you still you still sometimes see it in colleges, but colleges are now to the point that most college sport coaches have at least a decent understanding of what a strength and conditioning program should look like. So, if their strength and conditioning coach at a at a major college was doing some crap, they would get fired because the coaches would call them out on it. Mm -hmm. In high schools the high school sport coaches don't know enough about strength and conditioning and neither do the athletic directors for the most part to know if it's crap going on. So I will, I will see people in high school weight rooms around the country who are doing crap. Uh, but the ADs and the sport coaches are like, this is awesome. So many kids doing stuff. 
you're like, look at this. And it's loud and uh, they're throwing weights around and man, everybody's max went up, you know, today. Um, never mind the fact that technique was crap. Um, there's, you know, 50% of the kids are discouraged because they don't like what's going on and they're not, you know, they're not the strong kids. So they're, they're kind of shoved to the side. And then there's 10 kids going into the training room after the lifting session because their backs hurt. Um, you know, like these things shouldn't happen. You know, it, the, none of those things should, should ever be occurring. Um, but we get, we get hung up on like on appearances and, you know, and like, Oh, it looks like this is awesome. There's lots of movement. Everybody's, you know, tired at the end of this workout. So it's gotta be awesome. Um, it, that's not, that's not what's necessarily right for kids. And, you know, trust me, I am not soft when it comes to training. I will beat the brakes off of kids and train really hard when it's appropriate. But, you know, beating the brakes off of kids just to beat the brakes off of them. So to prove to everybody how, how tough you are as a trainer, that's not a good reason you know, if you're going to do a demanding session, it needs to be demanding because there are, you know, you know there, there's a reason for that. And uh, it's, it, it I, you know, you, you guys see it. Do you not? Do you not see this? this oh, yeah. Happen? You know, and I would say a lot of, um, I don't know. I mean, of the five listeners of this podcast, I would say probably three or four of them are more private sector. You know what I mean? So. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that any, a lot of these guys have poked their head into a high school weight room, you know, mm -hmm. where there, it can be a lot of energy and, uh, you know, there, there are egos that are kind of leading the march, so to speak. But, um, I, we, we have definitely seen it. And when we talk to, uh, again, primarily like the private sector, whether it's, uh, you know, the small micro gym owner or CrossFit gym owner, and mostly in our seminar, we expose them to, to, to the beat down, right? But what we enlighten them to is it doesn't have to be in such a way that it cripples you for the week, right? You introduce yeah. things like isometrics that are terrible, right? And you start, mm -hmm. you start getting that shared suffering model through something as silly as, as plank holds or side planks and people will mm -hmm. crumble, you know? And then mm -hmm. you get, you get the energy within the team to start, egging each other on to not quit and then that's like you know you people get done with some side pillar stuff and they are absolutely trashed but it's not going to smash our legs for sprints later you know what i mean like uh so so there is a, a, an element of coaching creativity to creating the emotional stresses that we want to impose upon athletes of all ages right it, but there's responsible ways to do it and i, I don't know that a lot of folks appreciate that um, yeah. So, and you know what, the messages that go along with those mm -hmm. things too, I think are very, very important. So, uh, for example, you know, we talk a lot about making an impact on kids and making an impact on people around us. That's why, you know, my podcast, you guys know, it's called the impact show. And, um, the IYCA is a lot about making an impact on kids. So even in this book in, you know, it's a textbook of kind of scientific stuff. We've got two chapters dedicated to one of them is like, it's called 26 ways to make an in, to make a bigger impact on athletes. Another one is psychological motivation strategies, mm -hmm. because I think for people who are working with these age groups, you need to have, you, you need to have some stuff in mind that you're going to be addressing with these kids. You need to help them build character. 
You need to help, you need to teach them skills like how to listen and follow directions and how to work with other people. And you may have to talk to your captains about speaking up at the right time and um, how to overcome adversity and um, how one person can single-handedly change the environment of a, of a room or of a team. And so it's all up to you because you may be that, that, that spark that ignites, you know, you know, the flame of the rest of the team, all these things, they, if they're not addressed and incorporated into a training program with younger athletes, um, these kids are, they, they may not get it. You know, they may not ever get those, those lessons. So it's bigger than just training kids with, you know, sets and reps. And I realized a while back that, um, doing speed training and, uh, and, and strength and conditioning stuff for a living, you know, for my, my job, was not just about getting kids faster. It was giving me the opportunity to then make an impact on kids by teaching them other things and, um, and talking to them and developing those relationships. And um, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm excited that I'm able to incorporate some of these things into, you know, a, an organization that other people kind of buy into the, into, into all of this. And um, that's, that's kind of what makes it, makes it fun for me as well. Yeah. It's almost like creating a playbook. So, uh, I remember, and yeah. Luke, you probably have it, it's like a, a two-point conversion chart. So if you're in this quarter at this time and you're down by this many points or you're up by this many points, go for two. Mm-hmm. If we create kind of a, a teachable moment playbook. So yeah. if, all right, this is we're going to do isometric holds and training to teach, uh, to identify leadership, to identify like who my quitters are and then call them out in a teachable way, not a harassment. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like we can... Uh, help coaches program effective strength and conditioning that will teach the lessons. You don't have to wait till game day to teach this lesson. Here's the playbook that you can implement in your 10, 15, five minute conditioning session after practice that one, the training won't take away from your goal, your purpose. And two, let's implement a teachable moment that's going to help you problem solve camaraderie, teamwork, mental toughness, whatever it is you want to do but actually have, you know, that, uh, that, that huddle afterwards that come, come together so you can learn from it. Um, again, you know, you can't learn without feedback. Um, I recommend a book peak. It's got a name Anders, Anders Ericsson, Jim, I don't know if you ever heard of it. Yeah. An amazing book, but he just talks about the value of feedback, right. And purposeful practice and it does not practice doesn't become purposeful unless you have constructive feedback, right. Otherwise you're just, you know, playing and having fun. What's, what place does that have in sport? (laughs) (laughs) Fun? (laughs) You know, uh, we, I have, I have really experimented with inserting fun into a lot of things and into my training programs. And even for like NFL athletes, it's, it's interesting. You know, when we insert little games and competitive games um, into things, Kids love it because it's a distraction from the monotony and it's a little bit different. Older athletes love it because it's competitive and they want, they go hard. I mean, like you get, you get NFL dudes to play knee tag. Like it's almost like like it's on, you know, it, like this is full go. Like I am not losing. And you're like, this is, it's a, it's just a fun game, you know, that we're playing and they love it and they go at it really hard and, um, it, it keeps them engaged at the same time that it, um, it's also challenging and it serves a purpose. Um, uh, and so I, I've really, really gotten into inserting 
games and using using some fun and keeping things um, light when they need to be light so that so that athletes want to keep coming back and, and they're actually engaged in what you're doing because training can get boring oh yeah now, now really- Jim you know we were on a we were recently on a podcast it's close runner up to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning and we were talking about just the process of educating and at times you find yourself in an echo chamber but then at times you find yourself at odds with somebody who's coming with a totally different perspective now I'm mm-hmm. curious like I don't know. A lot of, and I'm not, I'm not discrediting. This is very important information, but a lot of this is like, no shit, man. You know, like this is how you should be treating kids. This is what creates a successful team. Anybody who's been part of a team sport knows this stuff, right? Um, where well, do people? Not all of us have state championships. Oh, you didn't. Sir. Me and Owen Daniels also have a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> Neither here nor there. Uh, so, but I guess I'm curious. Who is? And not by name, but you know, by ca- just a character description. Who are the people that you potentially would come to an IYCA conference, or maybe I don't know, you meet in a dark alley, and they're like, "No, you're you're out of your mind. This shit doesn't make sense." Like, do those people yeah. exist? Um, no. I, well, I don't. I don't know. I'm I'm sure they do exist somewhere. What is What is cool though is that or interesting is that while they may, they may come to the conference and leave the conference or leave these things saying like, this was fantastic. That doesn't mean that they were doing those things or knew how to do those things. Um, I'll just give you, I'll give you a cool example. Uh, Jason Novak is a strength and conditioning coach at central Michigan university. And he was with the Tennessee Titans. And I mean, the guy's been all over the place. He's, super smart, has an amazing training program. He, he learned some like different things at our conference and said, this is the most amazing thing I, I've ever, like, he goes, I, I, I knew some of these things. I didn't, I, I didn't ever think about how to implement them and how I could do it. Um, because if you're, if you're always stuck in one way of doing things, you don't ever see like, Oh, I could stop and have kids, you know, do something different for a couple minutes, you know, like, like you get just so programmed into like, here's how we do it. Here's how we do it. That, that, you know, it, it takes kind of like an aha moment to realize, Oh, I can, I can actually do something slightly different here and make it interesting. Cause like you said, um, just now, you know, it's like, you know, duh, like who wouldn't know that stuff? Um, a lot of people. Well, it's not that they wouldn't know it, but would disagree with it or push back on it. You know what I mean? Mm, I see what you're saying. Or, yeah. I, yeah. They I don't know that they'll never work in my gym or yeah, my... Yeah, because, I mean, and I'll be the first to know, like, I, you know, we, for the, our listeners, we were just on Jim's podcast like an hour and a half ago. But, you know, in my experience, I was that, like, every, when I went to our CrossFit football seminar before I was, I guess, converted or enlightened, like, I was that guy, like... I didn't even know you could do that strength every day. Like, you know, no fucking shit. But, um, you know, and that's what's so valuable about about a system like this and, guy, you know, a guy like you bringing bright minds together to to create a set of principles that are universally applicable, right? And Mm -hmm. that uh, you you can't disagree with. And there are going to be people from all different backgrounds and different systems and different techniques and different sports that can come into this and pull something away. 
right? And and truly yeah. sharpen their game and for to put in your words to create a bigger impact, right? And mm-hmm. and much like Tex, you know, neither Tex nor I played professional sports, but I think we he and I both look back to our days playing sports growing up and like there are uh, personality traits. There are. There is a work ethic. There is a set of moral values. There is the right and wrong. There is the team first mentality that is universally. These are universal traits for the most part to be a successful and contributing human within any operating environment. Whether it's military, whether it's corporate, whether it's a small entrepreneurial uh, environment. These are things that were imposed upon us by our coaches when mm-hmm. we were sixteen-year-old dipshits thought we knew everything mm-hmm. right and uh you know you look back and reflect on that and you would it would just make you would think i mean it's it's commendable I, I love what's going on because this is i think there was a disconnect in the past generation with coaching kids and the value of this type of stuff maybe it was just as simple as like lift some weights you'll get better rub some dirt on it or something like that and you know now kids aren't coming out with that social iq or that moral iq i don't know um, you know, it's funny. You're talking about, you know, your, your experiences. I know a lot of kids that quit sports. In fact, there's a stat that like most, it's like 70% of kids who, who start specializing, uh, in sports early quit that sport by the time they're 13 years old. Um, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. And I also know that there are a lot of kids who quit sports because of a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they just, they don't, they don't want to deal with this this person anymore. And, and it ruins the experience. I know that in my life, I stopped doing some sports and different activities because of the person that was leading it. The coach, most of the time, you know, I, I just, I didn't want to deal with this person. I didn't like it. And I just think I knew, um, at a, at a, like at kind of a gut level that that was a, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Joe Berman, who's written books on, uh, uh, on, on coaching. He calls it transactional coaches and transformational coaches. Transactional coaches are there to, to basically do a transaction. They're trying to win a game and that's all they're there for. Transformational coaches are people who are there looking, they're trying to win games, but it's more about the big picture and, um, you know, transforming human beings. I knew early on this person's a transactional coach. All they're there for is, you know, to put, you know, to put wins on the board. And when you're in middle school, high school, it's like, really? Like, that's, like, that's not fun. And you don't know, you don't really realize it. You just know, like, that guy sucks. You know, and I don't want to, I don't want to play for this person anymore because it's just, it's not, it's not cool. And you know, you will you look back and this guy, Joe Ehrman, who, if you ever have a chance to hear him um, talk, he's, he's amazing. He, he played football and, you know, pro football for years and has written books. And there's even been a book written about his, his life um, called, I think it's called the season of life. And uh, he said, when you, when you're watching a high school football game and a kid messes up, there's always that coach just yelling and ripping on him and, you know, shaming him in front of everybody. And, you know, it's the way he worded it is better than me, but he says that they're not yelling. That coach is not yelling at that kid. That coach is yelling at himself for not being able to do that when he was younger. And now he's going to take out his frustrations on this kid in front of other people. And really it's inside you, you know, you're, you're the one that, that, you know, that, that, that coach is the one 
you know, dealing with things. And they shouldn't be taking it out on these kids. They should be there for kids. And you know, as well as anybody, you're in, you guys are in Texas, you'll see it this fall. Like there's a lot of transactions going on in sports. It's not all about um, what's right for kids, you know, and, and, uh, and trainers are the same way, you know, that, that there's a lot of training that, that goes on out there that is, um, it's to make money or to, uh, you know, to look good for themselves rather than what's the right thing for the kid at the right time. And it's, it's hard. It's very difficult to take a step back and, and try to make a difference. But I, I just feel like it's so necessary and so needed in, in the world right now that um, I can't not do this. I mean, this, I don't know. I have two dogs, but this kind of sounds like a parenting seminar. I mean, isn't yeah. it? I mean, you, but, but you, yeah. that's the role you take on as a youth, a youth coach is like, you're, you're, you're there to not just develop. I mean, you want to build the camaraderie, but you're trying to instill some, some moral values into these kids. So they're, you know, all useful, right. Uh, as, as yeah. an, as a unit. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, instilling confidence in kids and giving them those good experiences. I see them in my own kids. I've got three boys and, um, you know, now I look at coaches very different than I did when I, when I didn't have kids is you realize like this is now affecting someone's life because I'm, I'm hearing about it at home and I'm seeing it, you know, you know, the way they're acting and everything. Um, it's, uh, the, the impact that coaches can have on kids' lives is, um, sometimes something that we don't really even understand. I think, you know, in, until you have kids and, and realize like what's going on, you know, this is, this is kind of cool too. And now I'm thinking of that guy, Joe Ehrman at one of his presentations, he talked about how he, at one point in his life, he just decided, he, he kind of started thinking about how his life went through ups and downs and he created this timeline of his life and charted like when he was feeling good, you know, the line would go up and when terrible times, the line would go down and he had these this line that was up and down, you know, you can kind of visualize this in your head. And then he did a, did another one where he started thinking about what was going on and at those times in his life. And he charted out coaches and how he felt about different coaches during his life. And he then had the line that was up and down. And he said he was looking at these two graphs and he decided to put them over each other. And he said that they lined up perfectly the times that he had a great coach in his life that he really valued, he said that everything was good and the times were up. And then he noticed that when he, you know, when he experienced down times, he had coaches in his life that he couldn't stand. And it, he said the whole chart just lined up perfectly. And when he said it, it gave me chills. And I was like, Oh my God, like we really, you know, coaches are having a major impact on people's lives that we don't even sometimes understand because we think we're just there, you know, putting weight on a bar or, teaching kids how to run fast or how to play, you know, a sport. Yeah. One of the lines, coach, you're here to take an athlete where they cannot take themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I guess creating an analog too, uh, if you're, if you're running a gym and you're just working with guys and gals who are, you know, the, the proverbial desk jockey weekend warrior, the stuff kind of falls in line, you know, and like you said, you, you have coaches who are NCAA or even professional coaches that may come to this thing and sit in on it and realize this is forwards compatible, right? You know, at the end of the day, I think grownups are just, 
people who pretend not to be kids, right? So I guess for our listeners here who are running their own business, I mean, this is stuff you can, that's what, that's honestly what got me, convinced me to quit my corporate gig, right? Is Mm -hmm. I was in, just by luck, I guess, and by chance, you know, you're exposed to a client base that at that time, what we were not performance-based training, we were just doing the exercise, which, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and you know, you, you instill a sense of confidence, change people's lives, reunite people's marriages, that couples at the gym and like you, it's kind of, it's a hefty responsibility if you're willing to, if you're willing to shoulder it. Right. And I guess, you know, looking back and trying to, uh, recollect on the coaches that I had, you know, I would say that I was fortunate from, I started playing sports in second grade, football in third and just through there, I can think of all the coaches I had in the sports I sucked at, namely basketball, gymnastics, and then the football and baseball was probably my my what I was uh, more successful in. But all those coaches were the transformational type, like without mm-hmm. a doubt. You know, our team mm-hmm. slogan in high school wasn't like "crack skulls break bones." It was "my teammates are great." No, no I shit. Love it. Yeah. My teammates are great. Smoking Joe Bungie, man. I mean, like the, just the whole staff was there with the with the right um, right mentality. So maybe that's why I'm having a hard time, like believing. Uh, I'm on the uh, the reverse end. The this end, is why we te- didn't win a state championship. And when you said there's a lot of transactions going on, Jim, all I had for football was transaction coaches. Uh, so <clears throat> real quick, two instances. Number one is. Um, they bypassed my class, so they invested in the sophomores underneath my junior class and put them all on varsity and left. Uh, we played on JV. So we had guys of less skilled or less mature playing at that level so they can give them more exposure just for a chance to win two years from now. So they, mm-hmm. they just rid off the se- wrote off the seniors and wrote off my class. And the second, later on, when my boys' little brothers, they wanted to play lacrosse. So they would play freshman year and then be eligible for varsity. And the varsity coaches would tell them, if you play this sport, you will not play varsity. Mm. So they're taking away again. This was my opportunity to go play college ball. It was a a gift that these kids, they wanted in because they saw how much fun we were having and winning. And they, they ultimately chose football. You know, I would have made the same choice, but you know, it's just, they were, selfish and then needless to say those coaches were fired just not long after you know my friends and their their brothers left so it's but i'm sure this is going on everywhere and then the coaches the you know i don't know the love first i don't know how that that goes it was great so you still- and od are still in love huh <laughs> that's right man yeah me and od Owen daniels super bowl champion i vicariously lived through his accomplishments uh can you tell me why we have not had him on the premier podcast in strength and conditioning? Uh, you know, I'm nervous to contact him and uh, I'll reach out. I mean, I don't want what, what a douche. Like I'm sure all, there's a bunch of other douchey high school kids who are like, Owen's oh, my best pal, but me and OD know what's up. Dude. All right. Me and OD. Challenge. Challenge. But, um, no, Jim, this is awesome, man. So, so is the future then IYCA coaches? Is it IYCA facilities? I mean, is that, you know, top secret right now, just like everybody who's listening, get your ass to the next, the next seminar or, the, or clinic or what's up? Man, those are great questions. And, um, there, there's so many things that could happen. And what I guess I want to do is, is 
have the IYCA turn into what is needed. And I, I think I think what I'm seeing people people need is they need they need continuing education. Um, I'm seeing people need uh, they have a need for a community or uh, um, a, a place where they feel like they have like-minded people as well, so they can form like um, form relationships. Um, I'm really going to start hitting the end user or the parents um, and coaches here soon. So doing it up to this point, it's been more educating trainers who then are, you know, the ripple effect is that they're, you know, make an impact on the, on the kids. But um, there's a lot of parents and coaches that need this and they don't need all the, they don't need all the certifications. They're not going to, a parent's not going to get certified just to train, you know, Johnny in the backyard. But if we can give them, at least good training programs, then they'll, they'll hopefully look for more. Um, I think live events are really, really important. And, um, and we do also have some business, uh, a business component that we'll be launching at least, at least some, uh, some business tools and coaching of, uh, you know, business coaching that will, that will occur so that we can uh, help people stay in business so that they can make a better impact. Cause I mean, you guys have probably seen this too. How many, um, how many trainers they want to open a business and, and they struggle and those things go, they, they go out of business so fast. I see it left and right. And then, you know, good, good coaches are left, you know, on the curb doing, doing nothing. So I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. And I guess I see, you know, we, we do have a foot in the, in the CrossFit space as well. And, and I mean, those guys, there's a, just like any market of of any provider, there's good and there's bad, right? And I think mm-hmm. a lot of the sharp guys out there see the ability like, hey, you know, my members have kids. Those kids play sports, right? And I think this is like a no-brainer, you know, because they, yeah. we, we give the information uh, specifically under the vertical of, all right, you get some kids walking, you know, again, youth ranges it depends on training age how long you've been playing sports but you know let's just we typically say 14 years old is probably uh where you should start because that's high school and that's just the reality is there's going to be some kids lifting weights but a lot of folks have a hard time encapsulating that information right and then compartmentalizing it and then building a business plan over it to mm-hmm. actually bring it to fruition right mm-hmm. so i think this is like a no-brainer course for any of you guys out there who've like who've gone to our seminar have taken our methodology course and you have the tactics of coaching athletes understanding movement progression the the strength and conditioning principles behind how to make somebody a better athlete right but now how do we package that up and how do i go talk to a parent how do i go talk to a school uh, administrator to I guess is convinced the right term. I don't know to get yourself an opportunity to start mm-hmm. making this impact on kids. Right. And providing them, you know, empowering them to outperform the guy across town so that, uh, you know, they can have a successful youth athletics career. Right? And, you know, what, what you said about a lot of CrossFit places. Yeah. The, the clients now they have kids and we've had, we had, uh, several CrossFit, gyms who came to our, our summit to learn more about training young kids. And there is, you know, a whole, there's a whole uh, world out there uh, of training these younger kids. And it's not just about doing lots with, you know, like that, that is a, that is a huge mistake. And I think most CrossFit places have understood that, but they don't necessarily know what to do because there's not 
solid framework. So, um, yeah, you've got to you got to know how to put it all together. So it's got to be both a business and a training program, and there's got to be coaching and you know and the character development, all that other stuff that goes along with it. So um, that's what I guess is what's kind of cool about what we're doing with the IYCA is um, we can we can help a CrossFit box, you know, learn how to make a bigger impact on kids, just like we can help a high school coach or we can help a parent, you know, like it, they're, they're principles and, and, you know, it's not just, okay, if you have a CrossFit place, here's what you do. You know, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. That's awesome. Tex, anything else we got to cover? One more question. Do so it, I wrote it. this down during our interview on the impact show and uh, you mentioned it when introducing your uh, the coach you interned under at UMish. So there's been an evolution with strength and conditioning, as in where it used to be, let's protect our programs. This is a, the Michigan way or whatever. It's our way. And now we're experiencing kind of a, a sharing age. This is what we're doing here. And then, you know, we're witnessing at the, the conferences, high school football, it's all, it's in that secret. We're not going to share anything. So I'm sure it's different ways. Sports, I've been to lacrosse conferences, and it's the same, right? You don't give your offense away because you're basically giving it to your opponent. So is you feel there's going to be an evolution between the protecting my programs to sharing with the high school sport coaches? And in your experience, what was that, that shift, that transition from strength coaches secret to sharing? Hmm, that's a pretty good question, Tex. Um, I think, well, I, I definitely think the internet changed things dramatically because it made sharing easy. You know, you could just, you could start putting your stuff up. And I think that once one person shares, it kind of breaks down some barriers because then people start saying, oh, that guy's sharing stuff. So, you know, that's good for me also. Um, I think a lot of trainers like to share things, not so much to help other people, but to, you know, make themselves look like they're awesome, which is, that's cool. I mean, you know, everybody's got to, you know, create their own credibility. I totally get it. And I've done the same thing. Um, but there's a, there's a difference between sharing stuff to help people and sharing stuff to make yourself look smart. Uh, I think both are necessary, but you know, that that's part of it. Um, I, I, I think I actually think that, that the, the lower levels are better than they used to be at sharing because I will see at like high school football coaches, conferences, coaches who win championships. There's one particular um, conference that comes through here that they try to get all the coaches that won state championships to then speak and share their, their playbook essentially like what they did and um, and most coaches are pretty willing to do that because you still have to stop them you know like it's just because you know what system another team runs doesn't mean that you're going to beat that person like you, still, like, you don't know which play they're running and the kids you know you have to teach your kids how to, how to do things still you know and make decisions so um, I think there's a little bit more sharing um, I don't what, well, what are your thoughts on that? What do you guys think people are, people are more apt to do? I don't know. It's, it's I think it's regional and generational, right? I think um, 
you know, down here where this is still down here in Texas, where it's very transactional based, I guess I don't expect that to change because unfortunately there's cash involved in this thing, right? I drive around mm. and look at some of these stadiums and just like, holy shit. Um, yeah. But I think when you have some, when there's cash to be lose, you're less prone to share because you believe that you, you, you've created something. Um, you got the secret sauce. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of with you where it's like, you know, I'll tell you exactly how I did it. If you can fucking pull it off, like I know there's more, there's more complexity to this than just X's and O's. Um, I, I don't know, but uh, you're right that the the dissemination of information over the worldwide web has. I mean, everything's open source. You want to know anything, you're going to learn it. And if you if you can kind of switch and flip through your lenses, and you have the experience to decipher the commonalities between things that are apparently different you know, which a set of principles would allow for. Like, you know, there is no magic sets and reps. There is no magic sequencing. I mean, there's a banded kind of best practices, right? And if you can wrap your head around that, I, I think it's more about the proverbial intangibles, you know, talk, building up character and, you know, creating teamwork, the desire to win, the will to suffer. Uh, if you can start doing that... It, the bench press doesn't matter. The lunging doesn't matter. The you know, I, I don't know. The system, the but to a point, program. right? I mean, to a point to say that universally you could pull it out. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I just doubt that everything will. I mean, I it is open source. Everything's open source at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. As much as people share, um, there's there's almost too much out there. And then people get bogged down with too much information and then they don't learn anything and they don't implement any of it. I mean, how many times have you um, read a book that tell, or taken a course that taught you like exactly how to do something and then you just never do it because you get caught up in your own life. Um, or, you know, I, I may, I'll go to like the CSCCA text. You know, I, I spoke about teaching acceleration mechanics Um Tons of coaches came up afterwards and, you know, said, oh, this is great. I'm going to implement this. I'm guessing that they didn't all go back and implement it. So I could probably go back the next year and do the same talk and, and hit, you know, the same people. And they might be like, oh, you know what? I need to do this still. Um, you know, so it, it, there's so many ideas now that people don't know. I think that the, the skill, the real skill in our profession now is, grabbing things that you can actually add to your uh, arsenal. But every time you grab something, you simultaneously are letting something else go because you can't do it all. Well, you know? so you, I don't think it's the ability to grab. It's the ability to understand how it fits together. Yeah. Right. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You got to put it all together. Yeah. Yeah. It, because it's very difficult. I'm just trying to well, think, well. you know, let, people walk away from our seminar, same thing, you know, totally enlightened and all they put in is dead bugs, which good, you know, like it's, which is, just, you know, warm up assessment protocol. Um, but they'd never change any of their, any of their, anything else. And they're like, oh yeah, we're running a power athlete class. I'm like, why is it power athlete? Do you know why? He's like, well, we have dead bugs. I'm like, no, you know, you're just off. And it's like, it's understanding how the pieces fit together, but you, you know, and interesting, I mean, interesting perspective as well is if you're going to throw something in, I mean, it's just the conservation of matter, right? Something's got to pop out, you know, you can you can't do too much at once or you start getting nowhere. Well, Jim, how about you're experiencing uh, as a coach 
in your, your youth, you wanted to do a shit ton, right? You wanted to accomplish everything in a session or uh, an eight-week program. But now I'm sure your programs, even if it's an advanced athlete, it's almost simpler. No simpler. Um, so have you taken more out and just focused on the, the fundamentals, the basics, as you developed as a coach? Um, yeah, or just different ways of getting something across. So maybe a different cue or a, a different, um, drill to, to help somebody get something, um, might make be a little bit easier, uh, for me now and, and just sticking with basics and letting kids get good at one thing before you worry about throwing 20 million things at them. Um, having some patience, you know, it also, it hit me when we were just talking about that, that, um, I think another reason that people aren't able to like put everything into, you know, they're not able to put it all together is because I think that the internet and social media in particular has given rise to everyone now having a, a voice for their opinion. And so now people tend to read things as, um, I think a lot of people read books or, uh, or, or read a blog post, not so much to learn, but as they think they're reviewing it for the world. <laughs> so, YouTube you know, comment. Yes. So it's like, uh, you know, somebody could put up a brilliant article and instead of saying like, this is awesome, I'm implementing it today, they'll be like, oh, well, um, I think this, you know, and or you should have added this or this research says it. It's like, just stop and listen. And if you, you know, everybody's got to put their opinion out because we're all experts now. And it's, um, it's a little scary because I think people miss out on a lot of things because they, they, they think that they're a little bit smarter than, than everyone else that's out there. And, you know, and it's also, I think once people are able to put their opinion out there, then it, it shuts everything else off. So instead of learning, they're like, well, I put my opinion out and I'm going to stop listening to everybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty too, but I think that social media has really created that problem. Well, we've seen this at the seminar, looking for affirmation for what you're applying versus listening yeah. for to the information for the information. Like John said, empty your cup in the this impact show that we were previously interviewed on. Uh, I think that applies here. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess, Jim, all right, I, IYCA.com? Is that where you want to point people? What else? .org. Yeah, IYCA.org. Um, we are an org, not a com. No big and, deal. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's probably the best place for people to go. I am still um, I'm still directing Total Performance Training Center, which is what you talked about last time with you guys. So I'm in the trenches every single day training athletes and, and running a business and doing all those things. But for everything that we're talking about today, you know, I think IYCA.org is the best place where you can find us on social media as well. There so you go. You, the necessary evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is a necessary evil. You have to have it there so people can find you. Huh? Jim, thanks a lot, man, for taking the time and, and sitting on our show. And I guess uh, thanks for having us on your show as well. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Been a pretty, pretty good afternoon for us to chit-chat and talk with That's another awesome. like-minded individual. Do you have any more speaking gigs coming up in the future? Um, I have people that want me to go to China uh, several times. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've, I do have some things. I'm going to the elite performance and fitness summit in Chicago. It's coming up in about a month. And I'm, I'm 
I'm not sure I want to go to China to, to speak. Um, maybe we could talk about that off the air. Yeah, I know. I Those two other listeners that we mentioned. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, we, uh, I mean, when Tex and I, Tex has since been back, but we went to South Korea and we had, we traveled through Europe, through Australia, through South America, through, but talk about like just culture shock. I mean, you can navigate your way through the other countries for the most part and kind of survive, but I, I truly felt lost in South, uh, in South Korea. Yeah. And Seoul. And I mean, it was just fast paced. Things were going crazy. You couldn't even make like in terms of just the language and the, the written language. Mm-hmm. We had no clue or I had no clue what was going on. Until you know? we found a Mexican restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> we found a Mexican <laughs> restaurant cool. that had that served like potato skins and had Pitbull on the uh, like the Pitbull greatest hits on repeat. It was just like, <laughs> where are we? Or was that, that was the Irish bar. That was the Irish pub playing <laughs> Pitbull, but we very humble tacos. Ah, the the place escapes me, uh, but it's over by the uh, oh, yeah. USA Army base. Yeah, yeah, but in the I, USA Itawan, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, but uh, yeah, if you go to, I know China had we we had a, a gig lined up there that just kind of fell through, but uh, I I think just learning learning that appreciating what you learn by getting so far out of your comfort zone, I think I got to kind of make a trek out there. Now, I don't know if I'd want to be, you know, a keynote or, or speaker there to, and then be followed around and ask a bunch of questions, but maybe just visiting and seeing what's up. I think I'd do it. Yeah, maybe you can come with me. <laughs> I'll be your assistant. <laughs> yeah. Next month? That's when we're going? Yeah, yeah we'll you there. Okay. All right, Jim. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Uh, appreciate hey, your guys, time. Appreciate it. Power Athlete Nation, you heard it here. Check out IYCA.org. Get it together. Figure it out. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. See you, Jim. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Be sure and check out the IYCA at IYCA.org. From that site, you'll be able to track down Jim and attend any number of his speaking engagements. Jim can also be found on Instagram at Jim Kielbasso. Ladies and gentlemen, the Power Athlete Academy methodology course level one is now available. However, there are a limited number of spots that are filling up quite quickly. And I know this because I get a goddamn email every time someone signs up. So get one of those last spots so we can bring a swift end to this email terrorism. And while you're at it, why don't you just go ahead and sign up for the Power Athlete Symposium. That's going down December 8th through 10th and will be guaranteed the most memorable experience of your entire life. And I know you're like, Callie, my kid's birth is definitely number one, right? Well, wrong. We're professional athletes, former SEALs, barbecue and beer at your kid's birth. I didn't think so. So head on over to powerathlete.com backslash events to get your tickets now. All proceeds go to Wade's Army. Until next time, bye!